Okay, you all know the rules. Let's get on with it. Warrant Christodoulou. Welcome to uh, Knowing Me, Knowing Ed, You podcast. Don't cringe. Daisy Christodoulou. And I have said that right, haven't I? You have, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And is that the proper way that Greek people would pronounce that? I don't, I don't think it is, actually. No. I, I think it's been slightly anglicised over yeah, the years. I think it's it probably more like, uh, I think the O is short in Greek. I think it's Christodoulou. Uh, I think. Okay. Uh, my father's name, incidentally, his first name is Christodoulous. So, you know, he pronounces that differently to the surname. So I think there is a bit of difference there. So his first, how would yeah. you say his first name is surname? We say it, Christodoulos Christodoulou. But uh, I think it probably should be Christodoulos Christodoulou. Right. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. This is, you know. Well, I, I'm sure I've noticed that when mm. I write your name, yeah. Microsoft no longer throws up the red squiggly line. <laughs> so I was thinking about that and I wondered whether that means, like, you're, you're really famous. <laughs> Or it, I've just written it enough times in the same way. I suspect the latter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that we're going to have a chat about you, mm. um, your time at school, mm. your background and your work in education mm. interspersed with some of your music mm. choices. Mm. And uh, we'll end by asking what one change would you make to the education system, whether that be structural or a policy, if you were in charge of the day. But to get started, could you please briefly introduce yourself and what you do? So I'm Daisy Christodoulou and I'm the Director of Education at No More Marking. Okay, and for those who might not know much about you, I'll just add a, a bit more by way of introduction. Um, I read, and I love doing the, the research for, for these things, you were called one of the most influential and innovative exponents of a traditional academic education and a trenchant voice against modern fads. Do you know who said that? No, go on. Anthony Selvin. Uh, you're a teacher, an English teacher. Uh, an author of two books, a regular voice on government advisory panels. Is it two books or is it? Two. Did you write something about cricket or have I? I've written a couple of articles about cricket but not a book. Uh, okay. um, a keen debater, a uh, blogger and sports fan and uh, particularly cricket and football. Is that right? Yeah. All sports. What, what else would you add to the list? I think cricket and football is probably fair but um, I'll generally watch anything if it's on telly. Right. And obviously you uh, claim to fame that the thing that people would know about you uh, is that you captained the Warwick University uh, University Challenge team in 2007 and you were once, it was once asked in the papers, is Daisy the brightest student in England? If we start with your time at school, what was primary and secondary school like for you? Um, so I went to primary and secondary in London where I grew up. Um, and yeah. So that's local primary and secondary schools? or Yeah, so I went to a local primary school. Um, um, Did you enjoy it? Were you good? Yeah, yeah I, 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 I liked school. I, I, liked to be, I didn't misbehave. I suppose maybe everyone thinks that, but I, I don't think I did. Um, no, I, I, I like school. I always like reading. I think I learned to read quite young. Um, so I always liked books, always reading. That was always my favourite subject. Um, and, and yeah, definitely from a, from a young age, I like playing a lot of football as well. So interest in sports developed at school? Def, def, uh, yeah, from very young. One of my earliest sporting memories, I remember Bobby Moore uh, when he died. Um, I remember I was just starting to watch a bit of football at that time. Um, 
I love myself with my brother, he's younger than most of the kids I went to school with, everyone's parents, everyone was a West Ham fan. Uh, so, you know, seeing that sort of help point of grief and all the, 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 the flowers and the scarves at Upton Park was, was, was really, really interesting, um, really sad. Uh, it was about that time that I started watching what my football was about eight or nine, I think. So maybe a little bit later, but, but really got into it then. And so you were primary locally in East End of London right. yeah. and then secondary, where did you go? Yeah, so uh, primary school was in East London and then secondary I went to um, an independent school in central London, uh, City of London School for Girls. Okay, and did that come about through a scholarship? Is that uh, it was an assisted place. Yeah. So the assisted place, it was, um, yeah, it was, sort of fee, it was a, a government scheme to, to pay the fees uh, for, for pupils whose parents couldn't afford to send them there. Okay, yeah. and your family come from, well, traditionally from... Greece and then yeah. So my mum, uh, my my mum's family are, are English. My mum's my mum's born in London. She's a family from London. Um, and my dad's my dad's dad uh, was Greek Cypriot, and he came in I think before the war. Uh, he was a carpenter, um, and then in the war I think he sort of built built planes. Uh, and then my dad's mum actually uh, her family were Italian. So um, yeah, on that side of the, the family, then then they they settled in East London, uh, settled there. Children. So my dad was actually born in London. Yeah. Uh, so I know they have this very exotic sounding. So yeah, yeah. But um, both my mother and my father were born born in East London. And they ran. Um, are they traded in East End? Is that right? Yeah. So uh, my mum's family were my mum's mum and dad ran a stall in uh, Middlesex Street, sometimes better known as Petticoat Lane, uh, for about fifty years. Uh, my mum and my dad also did quite a bit of market trading at various points too. And did you do that a little bit? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, a little bit. I was uh, be there on the stall definitely. And have you got uh, the banter, like? Uh, the banter, yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it's a sort of different world. Um, it's, it's changed a lot now, but... Um, got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that must have been, as a as a young person, mm. I remember visiting London, mm, mm. and it just being, you know, mm. eye-opening and yeah, all the stuff yeah, that's yeah. going on. But yeah. to be in that sort of a trading yeah. environment yeah. busy market stores yeah the, the crowds if the fun. crowds this sort of thing being different now you go there now and it's you're still there but the, the, it's all very much in the middle the crowds were just ridiculous you know you get to the peak time of the day and you people just were just so squashed in they were just sort of walking along and you couldn't even move or look around you just had to go with it, the flow uh, so yeah the, the crowds were really astonishing um, but but yeah like you say it was something I grew up with and, and you saw um, and the whole area around Middlesex Street, Lane, you know, that whole area in the city of London, uh, it is really fascinating. I'm really interested in it historically too, because the street pattern in large parts of the city of London is still med- it's medieval. Uh, you know, it was laid out in you know before Chaucer's time. Um, you've got all these narrow alleys uh, that you can't get a car down. So when we used to, you know, you just get all these terrible traffic jams with people getting backed up with their big lorries in these tiny little narrow roads. Um, so that side of it was, you know, you look back and yeah, it was, um, it was really an, an experience and still so much of the cobbled streets. I do wonder about the cobbled streets. You think they're digging up cobbled streets to put electric cables down and putting the cobbles back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you think, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they could have made the streets a bit more, a bit more modern by now. Um, so yeah, some of those, those sort of, um, streets and alleys around the, around, around the sort of those, those street markets are. Yeah, very evocative. They, uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, like yeah. the noises and yeah. just, there must have been constant sort of Yeah, the other thing was always you'd have, yeah, you yeah, know, no, lots of shouting. And, and, you know, when I was there, there were a couple of people there who would have been there. You know, my parents, had a, my grandparents had a sort of 50 years, but there were people that were older than them, I remember, when, when I was very young. 
you think, my goodness, what have they seen? You know, they'd have been there pre-war. Um, they'd have seen that market. And then I was also there, you don't see this as much now, but a lot of the, the old sort of Jewish traders as well who would have come over pre-war, maybe post-war, early part of the 20th century. Obviously, in the early part of the 20th century, there was a big, big Jewish community there too. So it's amazing, you know, the history of those street markets is, is really fascinating. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, you look back, you think, wow, it was a great experience. What, um, do you have any uh, standout memories from time at school or any particular teachers that you remember for one reason or another? Yeah, I mean, loads, and this is it, isn't it? I suppose everyone everyone has this, but teachers have such an impact on you. You know, they're the first adults, like, other than your family that you ever see. That's why if you are a teacher, it's just such a privilege. You are, you know, you can be such an influence on, on, on young children. Um, I remember having a, a primary school, having an Australian teacher who was crazy about sport, which we all loved. <laughs> so, you know, we'd all be going out and playing football and cricket and, you know, whatever came into his head. That was great fun. Uh, he was He was great. And then at secondary, yeah, I had quite a few history teachers actually. A couple of whom I'm still in touch with, who were um, who were who were really great and you know really really influential. Yeah, and um, when you think back to your time at school, um, sort of primary, secondary, um, as a young adult about to go to university, are there any um, sort of books, memorabilia of that time mm-hmm. that kind of? I mean, you you talk about mm-hmm. love of reading. Sort mm-hmm. of, any particular books that? made you think quite differently or, or got you into reading more yeah um well, that's a great question about the books yeah I think about the music but the books as well um so I remember actually when I was about 17 or 18 I read a lot of books by um Doris Lessing I really liked Doris Lessing um she won the Nobel Prize about 10 years ago didn't she um so I read quite a few of her books I thought they were really really powerful really interesting um I read quite a few of the classics I guess in the sort of sixth form or so just before, um, which were which were really good. I really liked Dickens. You know, I always really liked him. I read, read a lot of those when I was even a bit younger. Um, and I suppose also I read quite a bit of poetry at that time. I really liked T.S. Eliot. Um, so I remember reading quite a bit of T.S. Eliot around about that time. And John Donne. Uh, John Donne was um, one of my A-level set texts. But I, I really liked uh, really liked John Donne. So I remember in the sixth form reading quite, quite a bit of Donne, T.S. Eliot. Um, so yeah, those would be some of the the books, I guess, and the and the, the novels and the poetry that I'd read around about that time. And music wise. Yeah, so music wise, um, <clears throat> I've had a bit of a think about this. Um, so a, a song I felt that was just you know in terms of it capturing that 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 period, it was just on a bit. It was on quite a lot. And I think it charted fairly well. Um, do you remember the, the the Strokes last night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just in that era. I just remember hearing it a lot. Yeah. So in terms of a song that sort of captures that that time. Last night, she said 
So what direction did you take after school? It's just straight to university? Uh, I did take a gap year. So I took a gap year. Um, but I mostly didn't do anything particularly exciting in it. Uh, mostly worked, saved up a bit of money. Um, and then started university the following, following autumn. Yeah. And um, you studied what? I studied English literature okay. at Warwick University. Yeah. And you got into, was it, is that where you got into debating? Is that where that's I did a bit of that at school, actually. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I did a bit of that at school and at university. Yeah. 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 And then obviously the Warwick University Challenge yeah. team. That's right, yeah, yeah. So how did what what happens there? How do you how does uh, that come about? So they just put an advert out, I think. It was an advert or an email that went round and they, they did trials. So I turned up turned up in one of the union rooms and did one of the union officers read out a set of twenty questions and um you know, a group of people in the room wrote down the answers. Uh, and that, 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 those are the trials, so that's how you got on the team. And was it seen as, how was it perceived in, within university? Was it yeah. sort of quite, um, well, were people put off by it? I mean, imagine it's quite a scary thing to put yourself up for. Yeah, and I look back, you sometimes think, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, what, was I, what was I letting myself in for? Um, yeah, I think, I, I think, yeah, it's probably got the same perception at Warwick as it has in a lot of other places. <laughs> um, uh, you see those documentaries they do it now. People, uh, people signing up for it and the motivations. I think I'd always enjoyed a quiz and I'd always thought I'd been quite good at them. So I thought, why not give it a go? Yeah. Uh, I didn't. We didn't expect to win, not at all. You know, Warwick had never won won it in the history, and I think I certainly went in for it as more of it being a bit of a laugh. And then we just sort of kept winning. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, all the way through. It's crazy. And what um, what was it like being on television and being grilled by Jeremy Paxson? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit surreal. Like when you've seen something so many times on the telly, and then yeah. you, you're in that position. It's a favourite uh, program of yours. I wouldn't say it was a, no. a favourite program. It used to clash with EastEnders. So <laughs> my um, my my mum, you know, used to uh, used to not always watch it. Um, so I, obviously I'd seen it, and you know, used to have a go at shouting out the answers. Um, yeah, so you know, it, is, it is really surreal sitting up there, uh, and it goes so quickly, it, you know, it just flies by. Like they record it with barely any stops; it pretty much just goes right. through as live. Uh, so it, you know, the, the, it's it's twenty seven minutes or something; it just flies by. Really, that's it. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a half hour okay. show. The, the sort of questions, whatever. Yeah, just just take that, uh, and you just barely have any time to reflect or to pause when you're in it because it's all so quick and things yeah. are just being thrown at you. Um, you, you know, one of the episodes I came out at the end of it, I could barely remember anything that happened. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've had a go at shouting out the answers. Yeah. Um, I, I'm quite honestly, I think maybe three or something. <laughs> it is. It is really quick, even yeah. when you're watching. It on yeah, the it is. It's speeding. Yeah. Okay. And um, what of uh, why the Gill and Patel? <laughs> what are they up to now? What are they up to now? I've, I've, I've seen them recently. Um, let's get it right. I think. Uh, Harold is working for an accountancy firm, I think. Um, Prakash is basically a scientist. He's working for um, some kind of research, some sort of research, chemical research kind of thing. Um, and Rory, actually, is, uh, I haven't seen him that recently. But I think he's doing some quite exciting things uh, abroad. I think. Yeah. Um, what do they think of what you're doing? Um... Do you know, I don't know, I haven't asked them. Yeah. <laughs> I 
I should ask them next time I see them. Um, but yeah, no, they're all good. We we still stay in touch. You know, we're still we're still friendly. Um, yeah. You know, we still we still keep in touch. So yeah, it was great. You know, you make made friends out of it too, which is which is lovely. And what what if anything changed for you after that? Because obviously you were the yeah. captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got some press yeah. attention. Yeah, I mean, apparently I would, a, yeah. a load of yeah. requests. I, 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 is that, I, I, is that I, true? I wouldn't overstate it. You know, yeah. uh, it was the funny thing was it was pre Twitter. It wasn't pre Facebook, but it was pre Twitter. I think maybe Twitter was invented that year. So it's not like now where you know I look at it now and I think God, the some of the comments and the abuse that the participants get, I think oh, that's not very nice. Um, but it was before that. It was sort of it was it was obviously the internet was around, but it wasn't wasn't the way it was is now. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a bit of press, a bit of press coverage. Um, but no, it was, it was yeah, it was, it was very interesting, it was a great experience. It was a yeah. great laugh, yeah. And so that was your final year at university, yeah. is that right? And had you already thought about getting into teaching at that point? Yeah, I had, yeah. So I think my second year at uni, I did this teaching placement, which was great. It was, uh, you did it through the university and you got placed in a local school. Uh, so I think I did something like you did 10 half days and then a two week placement something like that you did the two weeks over your Easter holidays so i had done quite you know i had been in, in classrooms and seen what it was like and that was amazing that was such a great experience to get that um, because otherwise you, know, you walk into a classroom you just don't know what you're going to what you're going to face uh, and I, I did that my second year um, so I was definitely interested in, in teaching yeah. right and so you um, did you just decide then to do PGC straight after no, so I did teach first. Um, of course, yeah. And again, sort of relatively early days for teach first. I was, I was a 2007 cohort. I think it, the first cohort was 2003. So it was, it was quite early days. And I, I knew about teach first. Um, I was actually, I worked for them on campus, like a campus rep. So I, I did quite a bit of, sort of helping out with recruitment. So again, I, I kind of knew, knew, knew that as well. That I, I, I was quite interested in doing that. So yeah. And did you have anything else in mind? So career, like teaching could be one career. Did you have thoughts of anything else? Yeah, I mean, I did another placement in my summer holidays. I did a placement at the DFE um, in the civil service. Uh, so I did think about that, thought about the civil service. Um, but I, I really enjoyed teaching and it just felt a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so it felt sort of very interesting and intellectually stimulating, but not boring. Um, and actually there's a lot of other things out there which <laughs> maybe are a bit duller so I think that was what attracted me to it someone said to me at the time I think when you're teaching you know you're alive I thought that was a really good way of putting it uh, you know you're not waking up in the morning and clock watching at work or you know getting bored or wondering what to do quite the reverse <laughs> um, so yeah that was always what attracted me about it that it would be it would be really you'd be alive and stimulated all the time yeah and so from from there you went on to which schools were you at so i went to a school I worked first my first placement was out in south east london uh at bexley uh so i was there for three years and then i went to pimlico in in uh westminster for a couple of years and then did you go so was it the curriculum center that was at pimlico was part, yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. so did you go straight from the yeah that in... was yeah 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 okay and what did, what did the curriculum centre do? I, I, that, I wasn't really aware of that. Yeah, so the idea was, I guess it's a few other things that are similar to it now, but the idea was that curriculum is a very important part of school. It can be very difficult to do well. 
certainly obviously there's publishers out there producing things but I guess the idea was it was this kind of a bridge in between those resources which can feel quite remote and classroom practice so it was the idea that it was working on resources and pedagogy and developing some of those um, and supporting teachers with with curriculum so Pimlico was doing some really innovative and interesting work around the curriculum mm. so back in about 2011 2012 and the idea was it was there to support it and you were you were director of the centre? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then from there you went on to ARC, is that right? Is mm-hmm. that how it... The, yeah. The, so the I then next was... Um, came direct, uh, yeah, my first job at ARC was head of research and development. And then after about 18 months, I became director of assessment or head of assessment. Because uh, a lot of the research and development was taken in that direction. So I started at ARC when national curriculum levels, I think, just after it had been announced, they were going to be removed. So one of my big briefs at ARC when I started there was to work on replacements for national curriculum level. And how was the transition from going from teaching into having this role across a whole group of students? Yeah, it's, it's really different. It goes back to what I said before. In, the, in teaching, you, you, you get in at 8am, teaching lessons at 8.30. It's, it's full on. You're constantly engaged. The day sort of runs along on its own momentum. And then when you move into basically an office job, obviously it isn't, isn't like that. Um, but I was still in schools a lot and was still out and, and visiting schools. Um, but yeah, the biggest shift in terms of your working pattern is is that move from, from school to an, to an office, effectively. Yeah. And I, I just want to ask a couple of uh, follow-up questions about teaching. What has been your best moment as a teacher and what's been the scariest moment? <laughs> oh, good question. Um, the scariest moment is probably just the first lesson because I remember the, the night before, you just don't know what you're going to expect. And actually went off okay. <laughs> it wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, so probably the scariest moment is just that feeling before that first lesson when you're in the classroom on your own, just thinking what's going to happen. Um, the the best moment as a teacher, what would it be? Um, there's a few that, 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 that stand out. Um, I mean, there's always the nice ones where there's, on the results day, there's children who get results that they weren't expecting maybe and they do better than expected, and they're delighted, and, you know, after all those, you have those years of, of, of hard work and ups and downs, and at the end it all feels worthwhile. So I suppose the, the results days obviously do do stick in your head. But then I think there are also moments around teaching certain content that, that stay in your head. Uh, I can remember teaching the poetry of Thomas Hardy to a sixth form group, and there's quite a few moments that stick in my head of just the way they engaged and reacted to the poetry. Um, I always remember one girl saying, oh, Miss, Miss, what, what? he's so gloomy all the time. <laughs> Why is he so miserable? <laughs> um, but it was great because, you know, she was engaging with it. She was un- understanding it. So I think some of those things of when you introduce some some some, some poetry or some literature and, and pupils really buy into it and like it, that's always lovely. Yeah. I've got um, some quick fire questions now mm-hmm. so I'm going to ask you some quick questions mm-hmm. and you've got to give a quick answer right so tea or coffee oh tea football or cricket you've got to choose one so hard so hard don't make me choose it's, you know football, <laughs> I can't do it football or <laughs> oh probably football um favourite football team West Ham best football team oh you can't ask Dalich Hamlet <laughs> they've got the longest winning streak in English football have they yes at the moment, to... this is recorded. They have the, oh. the Man City have lost. 
Dulwich Hamlet have the longest winning streak in English football. Do so Dulwich Hamlet, sorry. Do you go see them? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I used to play um, seven aside on the pitches. The Astro. Oh, uh, Champion Hill. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Know, yeah. They're a great team. Yeah, Best team, well, there you I, go. I, yeah, we yeah. used to go for a drink in the bar. <laughs> Sometimes watch a game if that was going on. At Absolutely. Yeah. Um, have you got? And this is a bit of an, an odd question, but I had a hunch that you might have an answer. No worries if not. Mm-hmm. Any favourite quotes from football or cricket commentary? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the famous, all the ones I pick would be the ones that are probably well known. Yeah. Some of the the, the the cricket one, the batsman's yeah. holding the bowler's willy. <laughs> That's the one that I know. Yeah, I remember yeah. my dad telling me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazed. Yeah. Um, what skill would you like to master? I'd, I'd love to speak a foreign language. I've kind of already asked you this question. What other career might you have liked to have? Or still could have? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I might have liked to have done something around playing sport. I wasn't really good enough. But I'd love to have been... So if you could be a professional sports person, what sport would you like to be? I think I'd love to have been a footballer. Yeah. I've played a lot of football. Um, maybe also a runner. You know, yeah. Maybe a 5 or 10k. I sort of always watch them. Uh, what position do you play? Because you have played football. Yeah, I've played, played. played a lot of football. Um, I, I moved around a little bit, but I think probably where I ended up most was sort of right midfield. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So you could have helped us out down at Champion <laughs> Hill. We're like a team of seven defenders. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. I always preferred uh, being a bit more attacking. It was when you're defending, it's always a being caught out of position and getting the position right. Um, so I always preferred being a bit further up the field. I did start out in goal, and then I broke my wrist when I was quite young, and I thought I've had enough of this, <laughs> so I moved out. We had um, there was yeah. like some keepers that were well known to yeah. that seven aside on, yeah. on a Wednesday. Was it Tuesday? Like there was a guy that was known as the curb, and there was a guy who was known as the mattress. <laughs> so you're, you're always kind of a bit uh, fearful when we were going to face uh, the teams of the curb and the mattress. Those are great. Those are great nicknames. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have to get up on the karaoke. Um, what do you sing? Oh, karaoke. What do I sing? Um, I know I, I might pick this later, but I'd probably do maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. Okay. Yeah, we do that. And um, is there anything you've had to unlearn during your career so far? Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the things I was taught at teacher training weren't necessarily the most helpful. So I'd say one or two of those had to be unlearned. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so at this point, have you got another song that you choose from that sort of early career part of your life? Yeah, I was going to go here with Maybe It's Because I'm a Londoner by Bob Flanagan. Um, I really like it. When I came back from university, I came back back to London. Um, so yeah, it's it's an old song, but it's a good song, and it's a bit nostalgic, a bit sentimental. But it's nice. My family like it. Some of my friends, you know, yeah, so it's good. I remember liking my dad having on record. Yeah. Was it um, Ernie? He drove the fastest. Well, that's, that's Benny Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Benny Hill. <laughs> I do like some of those old musical songs. So yeah. the other one I really like is Mari Lloyd. Yeah. Some of her songs. Which what did she are, do? She did, she, and they're all just, you know, one, all these sort of slightly cheeky songs. So she did one, A uh, Little of What Your Fancy Does Are Good. 
Um, and then she's got the other one is My Old Man Said Follow the Van, yeah. which is a great song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're quite silly and a bit cheeky, but they're really funny. Um, and they were ones that you know definitely I would have heard my family yeah. singing when I was younger. Lambeth Walk. Yeah, yeah. Love that. So is this proper, yeah. like, getting around, I don't want to say the piano, but, <laughs> but, but just having a bit of a sing-song, like, where, in the house? Yeah, 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 definitely. I was certainly at family gatherings when I was younger. So it was like, um, yeah. let, let's now sing, or, or is it like someone would start humming and then all of a sudden everyone kind of... And then, You're making it sound like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, some of those songs are, are very funny and and they're, and they're very witty. I think people have neglected the uh, you know <laughs> the wittiness of a lot of the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, even Lambeth Walk, it's, it's a good it's a good song. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, all of those musical songs they're funny. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner That I love London so Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner That I think of her wherever I go I get a funny feeling inside of me just walking up and down Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner That I love London town How do you describe what you do and who you work for? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> it depends on the audience. So I say work for an organisation who help teachers mark essays more quickly. Yeah, I can tell that kind of 
that's probably yeah. that, through a few of those conversations Definitely. that's that's your best shortest yeah. answer. And, it, and again it depends on the audience yeah um yeah it's it, you're right it is not always the most straightforward the yeah. obvious to explain yeah. and then when they ask a bit more yeah so how do you describe so what then what about? i'd say is we have a online piece of software called comparative judgment engine and what it allows teachers to do is to scan in the essays of any of their children and then instead of marking them tr the traditional way one at a time with a mark scheme they scan their essays into our engine they look at the essays pairs at a time when they look at a pair they are they say to themselves which is the better essay and they click on that and they make a series of those judgments and then what our algorithm does is to crunch all of those decisions, not just the decision by one teacher, but by several teachers. And then it crunches all those decisions and comes up with a measurement scale for all of the essays. Um, so it's a quicker and more reliable way of marking essays. Yeah. And so to make the move from ARC to no more marking, which, which I say respectfully, it was sort of relatively unknown um, or a new organisation, what excited you about, about going there? So when I was at ARC, again, I was working, as I said to you, on life after levels. I was doing a lot of work with primary in particular, but, but also with secondary. And the big issue we kept hitting our heads against was writing assessment, uh, particularly at primary, but also at secondary. It was just so hard to do reliably. It was so hard to get consistency, not just across schools, but within a school. Uh, it wasn't just a problem within ARC. What I'm talking about it was a problem nationally. The government didn't really know that they were going to replace national curriculum levels for writing with. So I was also on the, the Commission on Assessment about Levels at this time, and it was, again, the big problem. You know, for reading, you can do a standardised test. For writing, for maths, you can do a standardised test. For writing, you can't. So you get into this problem of the, the marking not being very reliable, being enormously time-consuming, weren't marking the things you wanted to mark. You're getting these problems with sort of very coached writing according to the, the mark scheme. So I just kept coming back to this problem again and again and again, and it was causing so many other issues in, in the classroom too. And I just kept thinking, oh, there has to be a better way, there has to be a better way. And that was when I came across Comparative Judgment. I got Chris, Dr Chris Whedon, to come in and do a demo at ARC with some of our teachers and with me. And the minute I saw it in action, I was just blown away. Mm. <laughs> I just couldn't stop talking about it. And then at ARC, I think people were calling me the CJ Mooney because it was, it was all I could talk about. <laughs> And it just, it just so elegant and such a clever solution to such a really actually quite a big problem. And not just a problem about accuracy of assessment, but a problem about a problem that causes big, a big impact on teaching and learning. In that what you've got at the minute with the, 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 the prevalence of the mark schemes is people are teaching according to that mark scheme. And that causes all kinds of issues. And what comparative judgment allows you to do, not just does it give you the more reliable measurement, but it allows you to teach without a mark scheme. That you can teach in the way you want to teach, but you can still be sure that you've got an accurate grade that will come out of that. So the minute I saw it in action, I, I really was just so impressed and just thought, wow, this is incredible. Um, so I did quite a bit more work at ARC and then, yeah, just liked it so much. I wanted to go and work on it full time. Yeah, yeah. just got more and more drawn into it. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's also it's so fascinating because get to read loads and loads of kids writing which I really like I never liked marking writing as we used to say but I always like reading it and actually that's what comparative judgment lets you do so you can get all these really interesting uh, insights about how children's writing develops over time and you can start to analyze it I think in a more in a more in a more nuanced way and start to say what are the things that 
make children fighting better? And then what are the kind of inputs that will help them to improve or accelerate them along that continuum? So being able to engage with that kind of database, engage with that amount of work, um, and to get that kind of insight into it is, is really fascinating. And so I think there's all kinds of really exciting things we can do over the next couple of years. Right. And so what yeah. are you able to share some of those those things that you... Yeah. So we've got, work? as I say, at the minute, we've got the primary, the primary, we've been doing a lot of work at primary. So we've got, um, we've been running this year in particular, we've been running national judging windows in every primary year group. Um, lots of those results already are on our website. You can see those about how pupils are performing, but also actually clicking through and seeing seeing the script, seeing the type of performance that you see at each year group. So there's that and that will continue. What we'll start to develop as we build up is we'll be able to look at how the same pupils make progress over time. So how the pupils who did our year three judging window this year, how do they do in year four next year? We've already done a little bit of that. And um, we actually published our first one on it last week, but we'll be able to build that up more and more with bigger numbers. And as I say, being able to track those pupils through and see how their writing improves will be really powerful. Then obviously the thing is to look at those pupils who do make really excellent progress or those schools where all the pupils are making it. What are they doing? What are the kind of programs that they do? What kind of activities do they do? What is it that's helping those people to progress? So that's that's going to be really interesting. And then similar things at secondary. So we're really hopeful that we can um, reduce a lot of the marking burden now with GCSE mocks. So GCSE mocks at the minute, I think, are really crippling a lot of people in English. Uh, there's so many of them. The new exams are so time consuming. And so is there a way that we can get more more reliable data in, in quicker time? It doesn't take up so much teacher's time. And similarly, in, in both at primary and at secondary, if we can reduce that reliance on the mark scheme, I mean, the way I, I have a couple of sort of examples, they're slight parodies, but they get the point across what, what, what happens when you teach to a mark scheme. So again, if you're, if you're telling children you know, they have to use a fronted adverbial, at primary, we see lots of children who use fronted adverbials and the sentence doesn't make sense. So they'll write something like, forgettably, he crept through the darkness. And you read it and you think, well, they've got the fronted adverbial, but the sentence doesn't make sense. Um, and so that's something that comparative judgment can help eliminate because you, you don't get rewarded for that in comparative judgment because you're making a holistic judgment on the best script. That kind of stuff gets filtered out. Um, so that's one way. And then the other example I always give is, I think there's a lot of, at secondary in particular, the PE structure, point evidence explanation, I think it can be, can be helpful to help people organise their thoughts, but it can just turn into this quite mechanistic and formulaic approach where the children aren't really saying anything. So you get your sentences like, uh, the poet is angry. I know he is angry because he says angry. This shows me he is angry. <laughs> so, you know, they've got that structure of the point, the evidence, the explanation, but there's, there's no meat to it. There's no substance <laughs> And again, I think that's something that can happen when you're teaching very rigidly to a mark scheme that says there must be proof, they must show evidence, they must explain the evidence. And, and so actually the thing I'm really hopeful about is that if we can move away from a very mark scheme dependent approach, it will free up teachers to teach in, in, in a more meaningful way, which is, I think, what lots of teachers want to do. But they're hamstrung by the current approach with the over dependence on mark schemes. So that's the thing I'm, I'm really interested in. And that's the thing that, yeah, over the next couple of years, I hope you'll see more from us on that. And um, are you going to write any more books? Any planned? I would I would definitely like to, but it's just, just finding the time. Yeah. So there's nothing in the immediate pipeline. How did you find the time when you did the other two? Yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so the first one, actually, I was, I was lucky enough, I did get a, a, a little bit of a sabbatical from the curriculum centre. Um, and the second one, I sort of fitted it around some of my work at art. So, yeah, it's not it's, it's not easy. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be nice to write another one, but we'll see. Okay. And um, a penultimate question. Who has been a big inspiration to you so far? Um, there's lots of people on there. Um, I think my, my mother and my father, I know that sounds can be a bit cheesy, but um, uh, they've, they've always been there for me and it's, it's always nice to have them to turn to and to look at their experience and for them to help me with what they've been through and to help me with the challenges I face. So I, I know it's a bit cheesy, but yeah, my mother and father. I think that's fair enough. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to ask you the last question now. Um, if you're in charge of the education system for a day, you could make one change, a lasting change, what would it be? So I, I always love this question, get asked it a lot. And, and the reason I love it is whenever you stop and actually think about it, you realise probably not as easy as you think. <laughs> and all the things you'd like to stand off in the pub about, they should do this, they should do that, actually are probably quite difficult. <laughs> If only you could wave a magic wand and sort of make everything better, it would be lovely. But um, if you could think of specific sort of concrete things that I think would, would have a good impact and wouldn't have too many unintended consequences and that would be quite easy to, to do, I think one would be uh, removing the interim frameworks. I'm not their biggest fan. I think they've already been made a bit more flexible this year, but it would be nice, I think, without eventually and not, not, not too far away for them to just, just go completely. Um, because I think they're causing all those problems I talked about with the sort of teaching to the test, teaching to the mark scheme that really start to distort writing instruction. So it's a small thing, but I think it could have a, a big impact. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your time. And it only remains for me to ask you for one more song, whether it's a favourite of all time or a current favourite. I'm going to go with uh, the, the, the soundtrack to Chariots of Fire, if I can have that. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's a lovely lovely bit of music it's really inspirational it's a great film yeah so it's always something you can play and it makes you feel good and energized uh, and it's uh yeah lovely bit of music